back to Shipping Shakespeare. This week we are continuing our discussion of Julius Caesar. I'm Liz. I'm Julia. I'm the guest. Who has a name? Oh. It's Jess. You should just be listening to Saturday Morning Rewatch and Cloudminders, and then you would already know who I am. There you go. Why aren't you listening to all our podcasts? Also, thanks for listening to this one. We really appreciate it. We love you so much, and please send us fic. Liz is going to kick us off. In case you forgot what the play's about or you haven't read in a while, she's going to give us a quick summary of what happens in Julius Caesar. I timed this one out and came to a minute. You're so impressive. Rome in 44 BC doesn't quite know what to do about Julius Caesar. Is he a conquering hero or an ambitious tyrant? A whole slew of Roman senators are acting squirrely about this, none more so than Cassius, the poster boy for unexamined issues. And he's thrilled to discover that Brutus, Caesar's best friend and widely admired good guy, feels the same way. Cassius quickly persuades Brutus to consider murdering his bestie. Brutus immediately takes over the conspiracy and makes all kinds of dumb decisions based on honor rather than sense. Despite two reasonable women's misgivings, the plot goes ahead and Caesar is killed. Too bad for Brutus that Caesar's other bestie, Mark Antony, brilliantly turns the mob against the conspirators, which forces them to flee and puts Antony in charge of Rome. Antony and Octavius, Caesar's nephew and heir, chase Brutus and Cassius across the Mediterranean, forcing them to make a stand at Philippi. This goes about as well as you might expect in a Shakespearean tragedy. The battle is lost, Cassius and Brutus each commit suicide, and Antony and Octavius begin the fun power struggles that will soon lead them to mirror this exact scenario. That was exactly a minute. Well done. Fuck yes! Julia's going to take us on a quick rundown of the key issues in the play. There is a ton of thematic stuff happening in Julius Caesar. What makes a tyrant? How do you lead a revolution? What's the point of honor when you're stabbing people? While sometimes miscategorized as a history, Caesar is definitely a tragedy, not only because of the multiple suicides at the end, but because of the tragic flaws of his characters, which the Greeks didn't actually use again, but Shakespeare really, really does. Brutus so badly wants to be an honorable man of action that he dooms his own enterprise by insisting on acts of nobility that have no place in the proceedings, for example, sparing Antony and also giving up the high ground at Philippi for no apparent reason. Caesar himself, for whom the play is named, is blinded by his own sense of action and his susceptibility to the opinions of others. Like the histories, however, Julius Caesar is undoubtedly a political play with complex relations to the state, the people, and leadership at its center. The conspirators insist that they have the best interests of Rome at heart, but do we really believe them? And is the ending with Antony and Octavius on the throne at all preferable? Caesar does not offer us the comfort we find at the end of Richard III when order is restored. In fact, there's a clear sense that everything is about to get a lot worse. Or seriously just read Antony and Cleopatra. Last time we talked about our OTPs and canon pairings and the many, 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 many rowboats in the play. And this time we're going to talk about why our faves are unfortunately problematic as fuck. Turns out you can't write a good political play without lots and lots of shades of gray. Indeed. And while couples who kill together do indeed stay together, there are a lot of other issues. And if you're staying together is really only in death, I mean, what good is it ultimately? Not much. A lot less boning. But a lot more bones. I try. It just caused me physical pain. In other words, Brassius. Yes, so Cassius and Brutus, or Brassius as Liz likes to call them. Roman names portmanteau so well, it's like a crime not to. There. There is a certain music to it. I don't know what it is about Latin, but there you have it. Everything ends in the same letters. And there are only like six consonants to go around. It's perfect. Linguistic analysis. All right. So we established last time that Cassius and Brutus is one of my favorite pairings in all of Shakespeare, but it is so fucked up. Cassius is a lying liar who lies, and he's manipulating the hell out of Brutus. And Brutus, who I actually find more problematic, and you will hear a lot about why, is the biggest idiot. (laughs) 
to ever try to assassinate someone <laughs> because he insists on this absurd morality and honorability that has no place in what he's doing and is holding himself and the conspirators to a standard that ultimately leads to their destruction. This isn't even touching on their obvious communication issues, which we will also discuss. The amazing thing about this ship is that given everything in its way, the audience does wind up believing in it. That something real can be salvaged from all this mess of manipulation and miscommunications is something special. Yeah. But yeah, it is a mess. You are correct. It's a hot mess. As much as I love them both, and I love them together, again, so, so much, there's just, yeah. When they work together, they play off each other really well, but when anything goes wrong, they bring out the absolute worst in each other. Oh, they do. Yeah, Cassius's temper in particular, Brutus's Stubbornness? Yeah, I was going to call it butthurtness. <laughs> That's probably the nicer <laughs> way to put it. As much as Actual War Scene 3 is one of my favorite couple scenes in all of Shakespeare, it's also indicative of everything that is wrong with them as a parent. And they have truly epic communication issues, particularly in that scene. Oh yeah, because it's all, all founded on Brutus's mistrust of Cassius and Cassius's attempts to kind of work around Brutus, and it all goes almost really terribly wrong, because if they didn't care about each other so much, it would come to blows. And that's not me saying this, it's actually Cassius. At one point, he's like, if you weren't Brutus, I would fucking kill you right now. The best production of this that I ever saw played that scene as what they're really fighting over is that Brutus has realized by now that that he can't be honorable and idealistic in the scenario in which he feels Cassius has forced him into. Yeah, he's clearly tormented. What they're really fighting over is, how could you do this to me? You love me. How could you do this to me? Right. On both sides, in a way. Yeah. A lot of what Cassius is saying is, like, you should have understood what this was, and you should know better than to think that you get to hold on to your ideals and do what we're doing. Brutus is saying the same thing. He's saying, you should have known who I was, and that I couldn't be the same after this. And Cassius does know Brutus much better than Brutus knows Cassius, which is why he's able to turn that into a reconciliation at the end. Right. Well, and he does it with that very dramatic gesture, right? So, like, just kill me. Because he knows Brutus won't. Yeah. Although I would argue that he would let him in that particular moment. Cassius is ready to die for the cause. And to be clear, the cause at the moment is Brutus. Oh, 100%. They're inseparable. At one point, they do completely merge. His cause is not Rome. No. No. No, no, no. Cassius is not in this anymore for like saving the Republic. He's like, I want you to love me. Yeah. And I will do whatever it takes. He even says that. He says, you don't love me anymore. And Brutus is, well, I don't like you like this. <sighs> he says, I like not your faults. But that's basically what he says. But this is who I am, Brutus. Yeah. No, entirely. That's one of the most problematic things about this ship. The seeing of the other one is very one-sided. What Brutus sees Cassius as is sort of this idealized version because he's Brutus and he needs to see ideals. And Cassius is such a realist and he knows exactly who Brutus is and always has. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's not just that he sees an idealized version of Cassius. It's so through how Brutus thinks that the world should be and how people should be. Because it's not even anything that Cassius aspires to be. Like, if you ask Cassius, like, what's the best version of yourself? You'd be like, ruling Rome, obviously. 
<laughs> like it has nothing to do really with honor. It's about him having like control and if you're being really cynical, lots of power, but however you want to read him, it's not about this honorable ideal of what a Roman is supposed to be or what a soldier is supposed to be. It's like, how do we get shit done? That is Cassius. Because he's not stupid. <laughs> he's not an idealistic moron, unlike some people. Part of what Cassius is walking into in that scene is that he knows that Brutus is holding him to an unrealistic standard and he's angry about it, as he should be, because that's not a fair thing to do to someone you love. Yeah. No, he's furious and saying, like, you want me to be something I'm not. Of course we're going to take bribes, and of course we're going to do underhanded things. That's part of what this is. And if you didn't know that about me... We're trying to win a war. You idiot. <laughs> Cassius is trying to say, like, I know what I'm doing, and you don't think I do. Brutus is just too dumb. He's not dumb. He's too naive. He's too blind. Like, the whole play, Cassius is telling him all sorts of things that aren't true, and he doesn't even question it. It's not even that they're not like wholly true it's that they're what brutus wants to hear yeah he's feeding him selective information for a purpose and it never occurs to brutus that any of the conspirators could possibly have other motivations <laughs> right he doesn't even make them swear an oath to each other that's really where the idealism starts because Cassius is like well we're all in this together we should swear that we're gonna do what we say we're gonna do and brutus is like no we're romans it's fine this in two layers of cultures where giving your word was a big deal for ancient Rome, but more pertinently for Elizabethan England. We're still in the era where you could give your parole on the battlefield and be trusted not to run back to your side. Promises mean something to these people? Cassius is being very pragmatic and sensible when he says we should all promise to stick together, and Brutus is basically saying we don't need no declaration of independence. <laughs> I trust all of you. We can do this on our own. It is laughably naive so much of what he does. The other problem here is that Brutus's true OTP is Brutus in Rome? Oh, Yes. I was just thinking about slash Rome. He shifts it so hard. He does. And then obviously Caesar slash Rome. Rome ships itself with Caesar currently, like in the moment of the play. Although Rome apparently ships itself with a lot of people. Rome's a little bit of a slut. Yeah, Rome gets around. But also, like, Brutus is doing this for this high-minded ideal. But, like, Rome sucks. <laughs> This state is a messy thing. It's sloppy. It's full of people with completely selfish concerns. That's what people are. We open with the really fickle group of people. And these are the people who make up Rome. And later they become a terrible mob. There's really no point in which the Roman state is presented as something worthy of all of this chaos. If Rome was full of Brutuses, it makes sense. But Brutus is very clearly the noblest Roman of them all. Everyone says so. Even Antony admits that. Maybe especially Antony admits that. But yeah, Brutus thinks Rome is full of Brutuses for some reason. It goes back to the idealism. This is the way he thinks the world should and must run, so therefore this is how it is. And when he comes up against reality, he's broken. Oh yeah, it, it, it paints him, arguably it paints him more than the death of his wife. Oh, 100% it does, at least what we see, because emotional constipation, thy name is Brutus. Honestly. <laughs> he feels much safer expressing emotion about loss of faith and trust than about loss of people or love. And Cassius is willing to do both. He's able to do both. Cassius is a realist. He understands how the world works. But he also like clearly feels things very strongly. I mean, that's one of the points in this particular argument is Brutus is like, your temper is totally out of control. And Cassius is like, your temper isn't anywhere near where it needs to be. What are you even doing? And also, excuse me for being human with feelings. <laughs> ye gods, must I endure this? 
Oh. I know. He says also, a friend should bear his friend's infirmities, but Brutus makes mine greater than they are. <laughs> in theory, obviously Cassius knows of this about Brutus, but I get the sense that in that argument, he's never really seen that turned on him before. That's true. Well, they're also in admittedly a sticky spot, right? They're facing down Antony and Octavius. Their armies are probably only sticking around for a short period of time. <laughs> this tends to be how that goes. Brutus needs to pay his, but he's not willing to do anything underhanded to get any money because again stupidly idealistic Cassius is just like do you not want my army to eat are you even trying to win this war right Cassius is over there like of course we need to like bribe people and take bribes that's part of how this works Jess I think you put your finger on it Brutus doesn't actually want to win this war Brutus is feeling so devalued at this point by the world that he kind of needs to lose in order to have his worldview reinstated and that's what happens in the battle itself, he's obviously keen on attacking, but it's ultimately self-destructive. What Brutus is really after at this point in the play is any kind of confirmation that the world is better than it's shown itself to be lately, even if that means he dies. I think Brutus would be totally fine dying if that reaffirmed his belief in the world. Which it does, because he sees the ghost of Caesar, which is the final thing he needs to convince himself that all his rationalizations were wrong, and that he is in fact the villain, and he does need to suffer for it. I forgot about the ghost of Caesar. It's sort of a weird moment. Anything, like, supernatural that happens in plays that otherwise are not is kind of odd. I do appreciate Shakespeare's willingness to just throw a ghost in there. <laughs> there are ghosts in, like, all the plays. This is the most restrained ghost that Shakespeare ever wrote, and by that token, I think it's also his creepiest. Oh yeah, because he's just like, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> like, that's all he says. <laughs> You're like, whoa, I don't want to see you tomorrow. So much so that Brutus doesn't really know how to react to him. He's like, so tomorrow. Okay. There's a filmed version, which I think had John Gielgud as Caesar, and just the way that that appearance was shot, he's almost whispering. Mm, creepy. He's just looking a little bit dead-eyed, but just enough awareness that you know he knows it's Brutus. He just says, to tell thee I shall see thee at Philippi, and that's clearly all that he's come to say, and then he's just gone. That's creepier to me than the ghost of Hamlet's father. That's creepier even than the parade of wronged ghosts that crosses Richard the third's tent. Caesar doesn't have to engage in any verbal pyrotechnics because Brutus is going to do all the work for him. Richard III needs to be hammered with the knowledge of his crimes in order to get that maybe he's done something wrong. To be fair, it's a long list of people. Or the audience needs to be hammered with the fact that Richard III was the bad guy. That too. Propaganda. Seriously. But Brutus already believes he's the villain. Brutus is not waiting around for Dante to put him in hell. <laughs> he's already saving himself a spot there. Dante had his own motives, but regardless, you're right, he's already haunted, so a ghost showing up means very little in some ways. And he takes out that feeling of betrayal by the world on Cassius. Which is not fair. Oh yeah, and he winds himself up for it because he's talking about Cassius before he even shows up. He's saying, this is a friendship that's cooled off. Basically, like, Cassius doesn't love me anymore, but that's entirely a justification for him to be as angry with him as he wants to be. And, like, Cassius goes into this knowing this is going to be a knockdown dragout fight. He shows up hissing and spitting, which is pretty great because it also has one of my favorite moments, which is basically, like, don't fight in front of the kids. <laughs> Cassius is screaming at him in front of Brutus's tent, and Brutus is like, hey, maybe we should talk. 
back inside into a tent, BT Dubs, where like everyone can still hear you. Like, if we're gonna get divorced, we're gonna do this properly. But it's okay, they don't get divorced. They don't, they stay together, and it makes the end that much sadder. So, this is obviously a problematic pairing, but I ship it anyway. It's not as problematic as like hemophilia. Nothing's that problematic. No. That is the high point or the low point. That's the definition of. They have some struggles, and they're kind of in a tight spot. And you can see the limitations of both of their personalities. And again, Brutus is an idiot. Just gonna hammer that point home. <sighs> Brutus, what did you think the world was? <laughs> he thought it was like him. How did you get that far in Roman politics? <laughs> Hashtag privilege. Because he was banging Caesar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Also, yes, what Julia said. <laughs> I don't see them as mutually exclusive, Liz. In fact, they might be the same thing. Caesar privilege. Caesar is a privilege. That might be a good transition to why Caesar Brutus is problematic. <sighs> I feel like it's fairly obvious. Because one of them stabs the other. Don't murder your exes, guys. Don't. Don't do it. It's bad. Even to impress your new squeeze. Definitely not to impress your new squeeze. I mean, are there other reasons to explain why that's a bad pairing? Probably not. But we can go into a little bit more because this again ties back to Brutus's idealistic worldview. Because Caesar is his friend, he wants so much to believe the best of him. But he's also very aware of the possibility that Tyrant Caesar is a very bad thing. They all seem very convinced that Tyrant Caesar is bad, but Caesar seems like an okay guy. You're going to have to make this argument. We will listen. Okay, so obviously the Roman Republic is ending, but from Shakespeare's perspective, kings are fine. So I don't see what the big deal is. Although tyrants aren't. I mean, Richard III is a tyrant. Right, but Caesar just seems like a really popular guy who's about to get crowned. He doesn't strike me as, like, the worst ruler ever. Well, the irony is that Rome will very shortly get far worse. There is that, in fact. That may be the real problem with stabbing Caesar is that it only leads to the downfall of the very thing they were trying to protect. And we don't know that Brutus would necessarily be a better ruler, given his propensity not to see the world as it is. The play makes very clear that Brutus would be a terrible leader of Rome. Honestly. But, you know, you could get the proper triumvirate together. The other problem here is the obvious attack on democracy, right? Antony and Octavius execute a hundred senators. Yeah, that may be the real problem. You shouldn't kill Parliament, and even Shakespeare would definitely agree that killing Parliament is bad. Maybe especially Shakespeare. The English perspective would certainly be that you should not kill Parliament. I think what Shakespeare is getting at in this play, in terms of Caesar, good or bad, is that you require a strong central figure to be leading your government. But once that figure gets too much power, too much popularity, it will inevitably go to their heads. And this is bad. When you have one person in unmitigated mitigated control of absolutely everything, you're setting yourself up for disaster, which, lol, they wound up doing anyway. Yeah, they don't provide a solution to the problem of Caesar becoming overly powerful. No, well, because they end up trying to replace him, and then someone else inevitably does, because there's a power vacuum. The thing that always strikes me most about this play, and then particularly how it is presented in contemporary productions, is the complicity of the people in their own downfall, and the removal of their freedoms. The mob is totally 
willing to be a tool of Antony, and they're willing to give things up for Caesar, mostly because they don't really understand what it means. The danger there seems to be the state's willingness to destroy itself. Well, that's not topical at all. <laughs> nope, nope. This is just unrelated intellectualizing that's happening. It goes back to Rome not being what Brutus believes it is. It's just a bunch of people who don't understand the inner workings of the government particularly well and are very fickle about who they love. There's an additional contrast, right? Because in Rome, you don't have the divine right of kings. Well, not yet. <laughs> They're working on it. I cannot get there. You gotta wait for the Claudians for that. In Shakespeare's time, obviously that was a given. You have the ability to explore the humanity of a ruler in a way that you cannot when you're talking about English history. Yeah, I don't think it's a mistake that he set this play in Rome. Whenever you want to do something a little dodgy, right, you move it back in history. To a different place. It makes it safer. That is how you find the room to criticize, to talk about ideas that feel dangerous or frightening, because it's not about you then, right? It's about Rome. These pagans that didn't even believe that their kings were appointed by God. Like, that has nothing to do with us. It's fine. The point of Caesar's humanity to me is a central point of the play, right? He is a human being. He is perfectly flawed. Don't know if he would have been a tyrant, but clear signs that he was not going to be the most just or reasonable ruler. Dude is paranoid and anxious and indecisive at best. And deeply invested in his own myth, which is the key point in Brutus's concern. Caesar clearly believes in Caesar. My feeling is that Brutus probably could have at least tried to talk to Caesar one-on-one -on -one and been like, hey man, I feel like you're walking a dangerous line. Did he try that? <laughs> no. He just stabs him. And that's why this is a problematic pair. Because <laughs> of the stabbing. There's a failure to communicate in any way aside from stabbing people. Which is probably why Cassius is like, you must stab me if you don't love me. Because that's just how Brutus works. Yeah, just do it. That's what she did to Caesar. You loved him. How did that get sadder than it already was? Because it's Cassius and Brutus and just prepare for feels. It is infinitely sad. Brutus and Caesar have no scenes alone together, right? I don't think so. Which again, I think is deliberate. They're never given the chance to see each other as a person. Brutus isn't good at seeing anybody as a person. Well, no one's seen Caesar as a person. Yeah, but he doesn't even get the chance with Caesar. He gets plenty of chances with Cassius. Yeah, Cassius is like, this is who I am. Never made any claims otherwise. Well, lion son of a bitch is what I do. Brutus is just such an easy mark though like I can't even. <laughs> but I love you. This is why Cassius is not an Iago because if Iago was talking about Brutus he'd be like that was so easy. That was the easiest I've ever had it. It's true. The only thing that's really saving Cassius is that he does actually love Brutus. Legit. But yeah no one sees Caesar as a person at this point. Brutus doesn't. The people of Rome certainly don't. Cassius does but in the worst way. <laughs> Calpurnia tries to but she's not allowed. Yeah she's trying to see him as a reasonable human, and he's not. I don't really think Antony does either. There's an idealization there. I bet that Octavius does. I don't know what kind of relationship they had. I mean, they're never together in the play, so I don't know. But Octavius uh, was, like, adopted by Julius Caesar, right? But he also clearly doesn't give much of a fuck. I know, that's what I'm saying. He's probably, like, the only person who's like, yeah, I know about that guy. I'm real familiar. He's dead. Bummer for him. Opportunity for me. Yeah, give me that crown. I mean, that first citizenship. No, I mean crown. <laughs> Burn the Senate. <laughs> I mean, from Shakespeare's 
contemporary perspective, it's very much like you need a balance between the executive and legislative branch in order to have a stable government. You shouldn't kill people. Don't go throwing away your democracy, guys. Don't do it. Whatever level you have. And this is Shakespeare, who was totally into monarchy. Hardcore monarchist, for sure. But I don't think he was invested in burning down Parliament. Balance. He wants balance. Speaking of burning things down. <laughs> Good job. You were all about the transitions today. They're falling into place. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. In a hilarious change of pace, I want to sink both the hetero ships in this play. I am really proud of you and also stunned. I thought Calpurnia died in the play. She doesn't. She just disappears. Yeah, it's Portia who dies. Offstage. Yeah, I think Portia has the most hardcore death in all of Shakespeare. She does. I remembered it for years. Eating hot coals. She picked a bad way to die. Everybody else in this play just runs onto a sword. I'm just gonna stab myself and it'll hurt for a second. And you're like, no, I'm just gonna eat these coals because I want it to hurt. One more reason why she and Calpurnia needed to run away to Egypt and get acquainted with poisons. Or maybe none of them would die then. I like that we've created this OT3 out of nothing. <laughs> Keep enjoying it. Cleo, Calpurnia, and Portia. Cleopornia. Yeah! Oh god, no! <laughs> There it is. I was like, Cleo, Portia, but then how do you get the other one in there? Oh, that's almost as bad as Cousin Business. Bonus, it has porn in it. Yeah, I know. That's why I hate it. Cleofornia, the best OD3 you can make out of this play. And one character's not even in it. She doesn't have to be. Her presence is in the background. We're all waiting for her. We were all lucky enough to be born onto the same earth that once held Cleopatra. Yes. Anyway, both the man-woman ships in this play need to be sunk very badly. Oh, they're total trash fires already, so I feel like we don't have to do that much work. I feel about Brorsha the way I would feel about Hemphelia if I were approaching it rationally. <laughs> There's clearly some deep layers of feeling there, but as things currently stand, they're no good to each other, and they are in fact mutually destructive. Yes, uh, this is not a healthy relationship in any sense. It used to be, which ups the tragic factor that they actually clearly used to make this work, but they are not anymore. But good tragedy does make you mourn for what's been lost, because otherwise, what's the point? And also, Portia deserves better. They both deserve better. They do. But yeah, it seems to be founded on genuine affection, mutual respect, equality, which, as we pointed out, are not norms for the Roman gender <laughs> conception. Or the Elizabethan. <laughs> nope. Ahead of their times in every sense. But yeah, they bring out the worst in each other. Like, you shouldn't be impressed when your wife stabs herself in the leg to try to get you to talk to her. You should be like, honey, never do that again. You're bleeding. You need a doctor. And also, I promise to work on my communication issues. I'm so sorry, which is what he never says to her at any point. She stabs herself. He stabs Caesar. Cassius offers to let himself be stabbed. Really, Brutus needs to learn how to communicate with people. Brutus is the common problem in all of these. He needs to learn how to talk to people without knives being involved. Also, he clearly has a BDSM thing. Clearly. It's not healthy. As it is. BDSM is healthier than Brutus is. Uh, a lot healthier. It would be healthy if he, like, worked it out. Also, why Farewell Portia is the worst fucking stepdaughter I've ever heard. Oof. That scene is weirdly written because we hear about Portia's death twice in rapid succession. Yeah, and also it's cruel to make the other character tell him what happened when he already knows. I've always put that very cavalier farewell down to, yeah, yeah, I got it. It's still cavalier and gross, and Cassius is sitting there just gutted by what's happened, and Brutus gives us nothing. If he mourned in private, great, but this is what we get to see. It's not great. Lady Macbeth gets a monologue. A great one. Possibly the best one. The understatement of there would have been a time for such a word is just like, fucking A, this was real. 
Brutus could say the same thing. He basically does about Cassius. Yes. Yes. Yes, he does. Obviously, he loves Cassius. We know which relationship matters the most, and Portia deserves better. She does. And also, maybe, like, Calpurnia would be nice and loving enough that Portia could scale back the self-harm. Maybe. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Sweetie, you don't have to hurt yourself for me. It's all right. As long as you don't rage on about the fact that I can't have children, we're fine. (laughs) (laughs) Announce it to all of Rome. (laughs) Because that infertility outing, by the way. Dick move. Hey, Mark Antony, did you hear me when I said to, like, touch my barren wife as you run past? Did you hear me? You're drunk, Caesar. Go home. Really? Really? You started drinking wine at 8 o'clock in the morning. He never stopped. Even I don't do that. But yeah, also, Kelpizer needs to sink. <laughs> That's a terrible ship name. <laughs> Not that Brocia sounds much better. You can tell, right? When a ship name is bad, it should be sunk. There's just no music to it. These relationships are trash. Both of these women deserve better. Romans are sexist as fuck. The state probably wouldn't have burned down if they'd listened to the ladies. I don't know what else to say. This is bullshit. It definitely wouldn't have. You could have listened to either one and it would have been okay. And yeah, Caesar might be impressive on a military scale or a state scale. In person, he's kind of an asshole. I don't say that means he deserves to be stabbed, but he's a dick. I guess that's true. His scene with Calpurnia is like the only personal scene we get to see with Caesar. And he's a douchebag. I just kind of think of him as like the popular guy. He's just kind of a dumb dog. Like a big dumb dog who everybody likes and he thinks everybody likes them, so he can't believe that anyone's trying to hurt him. He's not that different from Rome, actually. If Rome is not Brutus, Rome might really be Caesar, as we understand him. Which explains why Brutus loves it so much. And yet neither Caesar nor Rome are what Brutus believes them to be. And neither of them really survive. Caesar definitely doesn't. And the Republic falls. Rome itself gets to exist for a while longer. Rome exists for a plenty long time. Most of the exciting parts of Rome are after Caesar dies. And to be fair, people had been whining and moaning about the Republic dying almost since the Republic was founded. That doesn't sound familiar at all. It's just the way people talk about governments. None of this is relevant to anything happening today. It's always relevant. (laughs) It's purely an entertainment exercise size right now. Any other ships that we want to sink? I mean, Caesar Brutus is kind of also mutually destructive, but I don't necessarily want to sink it the same way that I want to sink the hetero ones. No, Brutus sinks it on his own. Yeah, he doesn't need any help. Stop blowing holes in my ship! (laughs) (laughs) There are obvious issues with a lot of them. You could sink whatever rowboats you want, but they will take on water on their own. They don't need our help. I kind of like all our rowboats. Me too. I mean, the conspirators are sort of faceless. A few of them have distinguishing characteristics, but for the most part, interchangeable. It's weird to me that they even all have names. Well, that's only because they were real. I guess that's fair. That's a good point. That's Shakespeare being a historical fanboy. And then there was Decius Brutus and Cinna. <laughs> yeah. They're all here. I listed them all for you, even though you don't care. Because they really function more like a chorus. They just come and go as a group. Caius Ligarius, who comes in at the very end and does fuck all. Honestly, it's the point of view. Thanks for that sparkling addition to the troop, Brutus. I was thinking you can't really ship Cicero with anyone. He's not even in it long enough to be shippable. But I don't think I would anyway, knowing what I do about Cicero. I just forgot that Brutus makes his loyal soldier hold the sword while he kills himself. And that's not really a pairing, but it's still terrible. Still an abusive relationship. You should not make people help you kill yourself if they don't want to. I mean, look, at least Brutus gets it done on the first try. Antony's just, like, laying there dribbling blood. That's really pathetic. Antony 
Ebony is really pathetic in A and C. That's a great conversation for the afterlife. At least I could kill myself properly. Shut up, Brutus. Which I think brings us perfectly to our hate sex couple of the month. There can be only one in this play. Like, you can make the argument for half a dozen of them, but there is only one. It's Brutus Antony. Obviously. God, they're so hot. Just the rhetorical back and forth alone, right? Here I am making the biggest speech of my life. Oh, cool story, bro. Let me totally humiliate you in public, but also sing your praises while I do it. Yeah, because I'm Antony and I'm that bitch. I am the king of the mixed message. And then Cleo's over here like, um, excuse me, that's my crown. She does take it. We all know who's in charge of that relationship. Oh, God. They literally cross-dress and she's wearing his armor. It's not subtle. Not at all. But back to Rome. I was all on board with, like, Antony clearly hates Brutus. Does Brutus have any animosity toward Antony? They're slinging some insults in the scene right before the battle. Oh, yeah. That's fair. They've been fighting for a minute at that point. I love the bickering in that scene. It's so petty. And it's not even very good. And, like, you guys are better than this. And I love that you're bad at it. Cassius tells Antony that his words are so good. He has, like, the best words. <laughs> Antony's like, yeah, and I back them up. The comparison is to bees. Yes, I love the bee conversation. Brutus says, you have stolen their buzzing, Antony, and very wisely threat before you sting. So, like, you're all talk, bruh. Show me what you got. He's going to. My personal favorite is Cassius's, like, you're not worthy to die on Brutus's sword to Octavius. Oh, my God. A peevish schoolboy, worthless of such honor, joined with a masker and a reveler. Like, suck it. Oh, man. That's, wow. We obviously know the body interpretation of dying on someone's sword. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Antony and Octavius are kind of maybe into turning this into a foursome, and Brutus and Cassius are like, nuh-uh. Now we are only here for each other, thank you. Told you, Cassius is very possessive. Yeah. At this point, I would say Brutus is too. I mean, he's certainly not going to jump over with Antony and Octavius. No, 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 no. But yeah, the hatred is real. If it wasn't real before <laughs> all this happens, it's real by the time we get to Act 5. There's been enough water under the bridge that now both Brutus and Antony have very personal reasons to want to get at each other for whatever purpose. However we're interpreting the stabbing. It's true. To get to the sex they would have to get past their desire to kill each other. No, you just have to put it on hold. Brutus is clearly into BDSM. He'd make it work. You know he's not going to be on top in that pairing. Oh, absolutely not. He's going to really want to, and he's not going to be as good at it as Cassius. Yeah, he's not going to make it. He's going to be so used to topping that he's what the fuck are you doing? What? 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 Oh. <laughs> he's not going to know what him. And the eulogy, right? The eulogy. Antony has spent this entire second half of the play making Brutus look like a smacked ass, and then he sees the body. This was the noblest Roman of them all. His life was gentle, and the elements so mixed him that nature might stand up and say to all the world, this was a man. This was a man? I mean, dude. Hamlet uses language like that to talk about his father, who he idolizes like a god. There is some permanently unresolved tension there for Antony. Clearly, and I feel like it just hits him there at the end, to be honest. He too realizes that perhaps this was not the correct course of action. Also, now he's fucking stuck with Octavius. Yeah, and he realized during the hate sex that actually Brutus was pretty good. Arguably. I didn't hate him so much, but it was too late. You know how this got started, though, right? Eh? Back in the day, Caesar wanted a threesome. Ooh. <laughs> 
And they weren't down for it. I feel like they weren't down for it, but they had to be because of Caesar, so they spent the entire time, like, fighting each other, which just, like, ups the hot factor. Probably. Caesar was clearly super into that, but that was it for them. I feel like that was where the Caesar-Brutus split began. Oh, yeah, for sure. All the more painful, then, that Caesar obviously leaves Brutus for Antony. That's just the most tragic thing. (laughs) I love our capacity to make it worse. (laughs) It's so sad. There's no happy ever after. No, but yeah, obviously Brutus is jealous and hurt. He needs to prove that he's better. Obviously. And then at the end, when he feels like the world has reasserted itself, he needs to die now and that is the right thing to do. And then Antony arrives and he's like, fuck, we didn't even need to be fighting over this. We could have been boink buddies. They could have been. Could have been great, but no. We've ruined it all. Everyone's dead, and I will be soon, too. Because we're stupid, stupid men, and we didn't listen to the two women in this play. But at least I first get mine with the hot Egyptian queen. (laughs) Make up for it. Yes, that is true. No, it's true. Brutus doesn't even get that much. What is it like to go be with Cleopatra knowing that Julius Caesar already did that? probably kind of epic yeah you never get over the fact that it's cleopatra is what i would imagine there's a fantastic monologue in the liz taylor cleopatra she's just spent an entire banquet throwing in his face that he's not caesar he will never be caesar her heart will always belong to caesar antony is drunk and he's had enough of this shit and he storms off to find her in her bedchamber on the boat she sits up and she's still wearing the massive collar of caesar coins (laughs) (laughs) she knew oh totally and antony launches into this magnificent speech He knows he's never going to be Caesar. He's never going to be good enough. He's always going to be comparing himself to Caesar. And it's worst with her. Mm. Because he knows she's always going to be comparing them too. And that he clearly can never measure up. And what ultimately seals it for the two of them is that for whatever reason, she prefers him. She's the one person in whose eyes he does beat Caesar. Interesting. And I mean, probably it has something to do with the fact that he was Richard Burton and she was Liz Taylor. And like, (laughs) they could have sold anything. Yeah, but emotionally, I think... I think that speech is very clever. I just think that maybe they're united by their mutual love of Caesar. I was going to say, I'm interested in the idea that Antony takes his heartbreak over Caesar to Cleopatra. So they can bond over it. I don't think she's as heartbroken as he is, like, at all, but... I mean, they already broke up, you know, they're already exes. Also, is there anyone more pragmatic than Cleopatra? (laughs) Uh, no. Yeah. Possibly Octavius. She would have definitely gotten into Octavius's bed if she'd had the opportunity. Whoa, that's a ship I'm having trouble seeing. I don't think she had a chance, but she would have taken it. Oh, yeah. You are definitely the horse to bet on. Let's do this. There's actually one historical account that has her trying that. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, she's clearly like, I really want to be the queen of Rome. How do I achieve that? Well, I feel at that point she would have settled for being the queen of Egypt. (laughs) And not dead. BT dubs, guys, this is what happens with Cleopatra. She fucking takes over. Yeah, I've forgotten all of the dudes in this play. We have the Cleopatra death scene because Plutarch was writing a life of Mark Antony. (laughs) And then Antony died and he was like, but the story's not done. Because Cleo. That's what Cleo does. She's just like, you're cute. This is my story now. She hijacks your dude narrative. It's fine. She even hijacks our podcast. We're more than fine with that. It's Cleopatra. I'm going to have a really hard time talking about anyone else when we podcast A and C. I think the ship you're going to have to sail for that play is going to be Liz Cleopatra. <laughs> that is my OTP. I'll keep it in mind. Quick back to hate sex. <laughs> yeah, stick to the play. I think it's also worth giving a nod to Antavius. Yes, so we're not 
quite there yet, but this is clearly where it starts. All the ingredients are in place, and we're starting to see them come together, because Octavius knows he needs to be in charge, and Antony is certain that he's going to be in charge, and there's like all kinds of hot dynamics going on there. It's really fascinating that the triumvirate wasn't the way that they had rulers, but clearly by the time they get to this, they're like, no, I'm going to be in charge. (laughs) The funny thing about the triumvirate is that there'd only been one before then, and it was equally disastrous. Well, clearly. And it broke apart for the exact same reason. One person was superfluous, and the other two both wanted to rule Rome. Hey, Lepidus, you're not in any of the pairings. Lepidus is trying kind of to turn the second triumvirate into a threesome, but like literally no one else is down. Yeah, I don't even know how hard he's trying. He's just kind of like, uh, this Antony guy, it's not going to work. But yeah, Antavius, all I need is that line again. I do not cross you, but I will do so. Like, he's ready, and it doesn't matter what's happened. It doesn't matter what Antony has done for him. It doesn't matter what Antony thinks they are. Octavius is ready. Octavius was born ready. <laughs> yes. Good job, Julius, for adopting that kid, because he definitely follows in your footsteps. <laughs> I mean, I guess good job in a, like, well-chosen sense, but not, like, good job in a good-for-Rome kind of way. No, good for your line of succession. <laughs> good job on the pragmatism. Now, can you get that ghost to have him marry literally anyone else? You picked a winner, but... <laughs> Because, like, I love Livia, but it's through her that the Claudians get their hands on Rome, and oh god. He didn't write about them. I think there's a reason. (laughs) They're fucked. Even more fucked than normal Shakespearean characters. Too depressing. It's true. It's pretty fascinating. Roman rulers are just so special. Like, uniquely depraved. And they were getting on Egypt for that shit. I mean, come on. All the Ptolemies ever did was, like, marry and kill their relatives. That's pretty standard. Yeah, I mean, the English are doing that when Shakespeare's alive. Y'all are having orgies and cutting babies out of your sisters. Burning things to the ground a lot. Like, way too much. It's expensive to rebuild things. And worst of all, you're forcing Greece to listen to your music, Nero. Poor Greeks. It's true. There's not a category for this, but I did want to bring him up because he is like the cinnamon roll of the play. But freaking Lucius <laughs> deserves all of the hugs. He really does. It's one of the redeeming qualities for Brutus to me, how like genuinely kind he is to Lucius. Yeah, solid. Poor Lucius. We don't have a cinnamon roll category. We probably should add one. Yeah. Who are your cinnamon rolls? Tell us. I just hope that like Octavius took Lucius into his entourage so that Lucius had like a shot at survival. Oh, that's a nice entry. Obviously in our alternate universe, Lucius helped Portia and Calpurnia run away. Oh, and then they go have adventures. Yes. And meet Cleopatra. I am so on board for this alt-universe headcanon. Someone please write fic about this before we do. Yeah, because we should spend our time doing this, but for sure, send us some fic if you have it. But yeah, I think that concludes our Julius Caesar episodes. If you have some problematic faves you want to talk about, or you want to sink some ships, by all means, drop us a line on Twitter. Or if we left out a really good pairing, let us know. Yeah. Or as always, send us your fic because we're fascinated. Thanks for listening. And thanks, Jess, for joining us and adding your crack pairings and your defensive Caesar. I'm just saying he's not the worst. No, they're clearly worse in this play than Caesar. It's true. Out of the other characters, even, he's not the worst. We all agree to that. Hail Caesar. (laughs) And thanks for listening. This show is produced by us, Julia and Liz, as part of the Adjective Sphinx Network. The music we use is Almain One by John Bull and can be found at museopen.com. You can find links for more info in the show notes. Find us and our sibling shows on Twitter at Adjective Sphinx or email us at adjectivesphinx at gmail.com. 
And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it on iTunes and leave a review. Thanks for listening.